You're listening to Wake Up Call with Christina Previtt. I'm the CEO and co-owner of New Jersey Divorce Solutions, a law firm located in Edison, New Jersey. I've been practicing exclusively divorce and family law for the past 16 years. Everyone has a story. I interview them. Wake Up Call is an opportunity for you to hear inspiring stories from people who are making hard decisions, overcoming their fears, and living their most authentic life. Okay. Yeah, I can. Okay, excellent. I'm, I'm using the AirPods Pro. You sound good. I swear, I'm like sick of all my equipment. I want to smash it all with a hammer. Because <laughs> 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 technology's great when it works. <laughs> yes, and it sucks when it doesn't work. And there's like nothing you can do. Yesterday, I, I had this Zoom call with clients, and it was a Teams meeting, which is like the worst. Yeah. And it didn't work. And, you know, we kept saying, okay, can you hear me? Can you hear me now? And it was like, this is complicated legal shit that I'm trying to tell you. And, you know, it's not going to work if you don't hear half of what I say. (laughs) I don't like teams because if you have more than like two people in the room, you can't see everybody on the screen unless my settings are just messed up. Yeah, it's just bad. Yeah, Microsoft just needs to buy Zoom if they can. But it's already publicly traded. So. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm also, yeah. I feel like I've given up. I'm wearing my sporty spice outfit today. That's what I'm calling Sick. it. Sporty spice. I like it. Yeah. And I'm not wearing pants. Just kidding. I'm wearing. <laughs> <Damn it. laughs> oh God. So thank you for doing this. Yeah, of course. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah. I love reformed lawyer stories. I'm just going to get into it. I'm not even going to do like a real intro. I like, I just like to keep these very conversational, but for whoever's eavesdropping on this conversation, I'm here with Jonathan Gabriel Sparks, reformed lawyer turned rock star, (laughs) soon to be rock star. (laughs) We should, I, we should have had you do like, you know, do a couple songs like Howard Stern does when he has people like you on. We should, that would have been dope. We could yeah. do that next time, but, okay. um, so, so you're like a lawyer, you're kind of half lawyer now, I guess, with one foot out the door. What kind of law do you do? <laughs> uh, business law. Yeah. Mostly. Um, we do some trust and estates work too, primarily for business owners, but partnership agreements, trademarks, uh, customer contracts, click through agreements, like, you know, everything under the sun for a business, you know, legally employment law stuff, you know? How'd you get into that? Uh, I just dug it, you know, in law school, I was interested in it. I, I started going to law school thinking I was going to get into politics and um, saw how those sausages were made on the Hill and it, it grossed me out. And, um, and then I found that I really had a knack for business law. I was raised in an entrepreneurial, you know, family and uh, understood all of the, the kind of throws and concerns that a a business owning family would have. And I learned all of these things in law school that I later figured out were, you know, colossal mistakes that my folks didn't know about, you know? Um, so, uh, you know, I was thinking about maybe being their in-house counsel. Um, but then, you know, I realized that they didn't need a full-time in-house counsel. Um, but a lot of other of my clients, uh, 
do need some, you know, in-house counsel type help in an outsourced way. So, you know, we, there's very few transactional attorneys out there that are good at what they do and can kind of talk Turkey with um, other entrepreneurs like that get it. And so we're pretty good at that. And that's given us a nice niche. (laughs) So what are some of the colossal mistakes, like the the bigger ones that you can think of? Oh man. Um, The easiest example is uh, uh, so many years ago, they got a, um, they got a template employment contract and it had like online, you know, Lord knows where, and God bless them. They didn't know what they didn't know. So this contract was written with a bunch of clauses in there that they didn't understand. So they got this key executive level uh, set of people to sign it. And over the course of the next 10 years, these people set up with their funding and help and guidance uh, entire division that was making, it was doing uh, conferences and they made something like, you know, over a million a year, I think in revenue off of these conferences. Um, but the, it took about 10 years for it to like turn a profit. Right. So their investment was pretty bad. And right when it started to turn a profit, these guys said, um, uh, either you pay me double and they're already making like 200 or something like really high or uh, we're leaving and we're going to take it with us. <laughs> and, you know, you're like, well, you can't do that, but they can <laughs> because the contract had what's called a, an arbitration, which a lot of you guys have seen. And that means that whatever the arbitrator uh, decides or whoever he or she likes, more um, is pretty much the result of that litigation. And, uh, you know, it sucked. So they, they, they took them to court, they sued for, you know, competing efforts and copyright infringement and all of these other things. They got uh, a, a shitty lawyer who was from a big law firm, uh, like a big law law firm. They had, um, you know, so they, they were, they were trying to do everything right. You know, they were paying top dollar. They figured, you know, there's no way we're going to get a bad lawyer out of this. But it was a guy who specialized in real estate closings. Like he didn't know shit about copyright law. So he represented them in this arbitration. And then the arbitration judge was um, used to criminal law cases in the military. That's where his experience was. So he didn't have any idea about federal law either. And he found the opposing party to be much more charming than uh, my parents. So at the end of the day, they, uh, you know, they sided with the more charming people who had a terrible case and they not only sided with them, but they, you know, made my parents pay a bunch of damages plus a bunch of attorney's fees for them. So they were out, not only were they out like an entire division that they had made, but they were also out damages and attorney's fees. So it was just so egregious. And I'm telling you, Christine, like I could have solved that entire issue for like a $1,200 employment contract that was done right 10 years ago. Oh, you know, I just have to tell you, I mean, I think no matter what kind of lawyer you are, we all experience some version of that. And I just had a conversation with a guy yesterday about a prenup. He's getting married at the end of March. 
because so he didn't wait till the last minute and (laughs) he just wants to protect some assets and you know they're valuable and it, it was like just this one asset in particular really like that's all he wanted to address so I'm like, okay, like 1500 bucks, which, which is right. like nothing. It's nothing. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. it's a pittance. And he wanted to negotiate the fee. And I'm just <laughs> it's like, like a million dollar asset. And it's like, dude, like, <laughs> let me like, help you to get out of your own kidding me? <laughs> And you know, he caught me in a mood. Maybe yeah. on another day, I would have been like, okay, fine, fine. But honestly, like to all the business owners out there, don't do that. Don't negotiate your fee. It is what it is. And anybody who yeah. calls you and tries to negotiate your fee, yeah. they just don't respect you and what you do. Yeah. Right? I just yeah. can't believe that's that. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's okay. You know, to, I, I understand that it can be very tempting to like, like we have this halo of safety with Google and we think that anything online is going to be pretty good. Um, but, you know, we, we are still unique. I, I think that artificial intelligence will get there, you know, very soon, probably. Like it, may, it could be within the next 10 or 15 years, but it is definitely not there yet. You know, like the, the, the places that design the AI behind like LegalZoom, for example, um were not designed by lawyers they were designed by like you know tech guys you know who want to sell a a tech company and shares in a tech company and you know god bless them like that's a obviously it's profitable but we still have very unique situations this guy that you're talking about has a unique asset that you need to protect in some way you know that takes your legal mind to do or, or or someone else's legal mind but it can't be a software that is really programmed just to sell, you know, blank template documents. Yeah. Well, I haven't heard from the guy and (laughs) I guarantee you, he probably like went to some website where you just download forms. Right. And he's going to fuck it up. (laughs) And And he's he's not going to know until, sorry. Yeah. He's not going to know until it's too late. Right. He's not going to know until, you know, five years down the road, God forbid, he's getting a divorce. And now this million dollar asset, you know, she's got 50% of, you know, so instead of $1,500, it's 500,000, you know? Yeah. So, you know, we're probably a lot of the people that'll be watching this or listening to it are going to be lawyers, but for those that aren't just hire the damn lawyer, just pay the fee. Okay. Because if you called the lawyer in the first place, you recognize that you need something. Right. Don't change your mind after they tell you the price. <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. that maybe that's a rant it's, for another day. But it's usually 10 to 100 times more expensive if it goes wrong. And yeah, I understand it might not go wrong. Right. But, you know, in this world, um, you know, like for a business owner, if you don't need that contract, that's because your business was not successful. So you're planning on either not being successful or shitting yourself when you are successful because you didn't pay the money to, to get it done right. Yeah. Yeah. Or I feel like if you're okay with the consequences, if things don't work out, then okay, then, then don't do it. Sure. Yeah. But don't do it. If it's not going to be okay with it, 
then obviously you need to think about that. So uh, it's just amazing to me what people will do to just save like 200 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or, you know, some (laughs) small amount of money, right? Like, you know, you and I have both had the David Nagel training and so right. people know him, they, they, they know what I'm talking about, but, but you get, you know, coaching about how not to come from a place of lack, right. like, mm-hmm. you know, the world is abundant. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of money. You, you know, you can make more, you can, you will, you will make more and mm-hmm. to constantly be focused on where to save money. It, it just kind of programs you to have the wrong perspective on life. And then you're always focusing on what you don't have and how you need to save. And I see examples of this in so many places, you know, like people just clipping coupons and going, you know, looking for sales. (laughs) My my ex-wife would spend hours, hours every weekend clipping those fucking coupons. It drove me up the wall. Like she wouldn't go grocery shopping because of like some problem so I would go grocery shopping right and she would be like she would make me this packet of coupons it would be like 15 and she'd be like you have to buy this brand and this size like this many ounces of you know mac and cheese or the coupon won't work and I'm like how much does the coupon save us and it was like you know 75 cents or a dollar if it was a decent one and I'm like honey like I bill at $350 an hour, you know, so like one minute <laughs> is worth, we'll save all of these fucking coupons, you know, yeah. like if I, but it takes my time extra to like find the stupid product. And, and then I would come home with the wrong product and the coupon didn't run and she was livid. <laughs> I mean, there's other reasons why we got divorced, but yeah, know, I sure hope so. God. That might have been like, you know, a metaphor for some of the other it's things. Forest well, for I, the trees, you know? It's yeah. like, yeah, that's not going to save. How about we just land half of a client once a quarter and then we'll save, you know, <laughs> all the coupons well, you would ever need? You know, I, I think, you know, when I used to think a little bit, I mean, I was never to the extreme of clipping coupons, but, you know, always looking for the sale and things like that. And I, you know, I think that, back in those days, I was more focused on not necessarily saving money, but believing somehow that I was getting fucked. Like, I think that was my thing. And I'm wondering if other people think that too, is like somehow if you pay full price, you are getting screwed that you should be trying to pay less. Maybe that's interesting. That's an interesting take. I never felt that way. I didn't feel like I was getting screwed. I felt smart if I was getting a deal like I, I remember as a as a child i would love to go to garage sales because shit man you buy a teenage mutant ninja turtle at the store and it's like 5.95 but you go to a garage sale and that's just like 25 cents maybe 50 cents so you've well, got like a 20 a 20th of the cost you know yeah well and I yeah, always, it's not it's not in the box but who cares i always have some fantasy that i'm gonna go to a garage sale or an antique shop and I'm going to find something that's really valuable, but they don't know it. And they sell it to oh, me yeah. like 25 cents, oh, yeah. which we that's all know from law fantasy. school is, is they're screwed. They're stuck with that. <laughs> but the problem is I don't really, I don't even know myself how to recognize the good stuff. 
So, you know, I try to pay attention to like, if I see something in the news, like a coin, you know, somebody finds a special kind of coin that's worth a lot or books. Cause I'm really into books, like uh-huh. first edition books, you know, certain ones are worth a lot. So, right. you know, that's, that's my fantasy. I don't know why that might just make me feel good. If I find something at a garage sale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you feel you get, you get a endorphin rush or like dopamine, I'm sure, or like validation, maybe if you buy something that is for a price that is far less than what it's actually worth. So that's cool. I get that. And then, you know, I think as a society, we're still, sort of holding to this depression era thinking where, you know, and legitimately, you know, in the the thirties and early forties, you know, there, there was limited resources, you know, like in, in some heavily populated areas, there probably was like a limited, a relatively limited amount of, you know, I don't know, food or you know housing or whatever. So, you know, I think those lessons were passed down, but they're no longer relevant. You know, and like most of our terror barrier things, you know, that we make stupid ass decisions about are just outdated rules, you know, that that made sense at some time for some family, you know, but not us now anymore. <clears throat> yeah, well, it's also it's also you a lot about your parents and what they grew up with and, you know, what they kind of taught you, like they kind of pass on their baggage, right? There's like genetic baggage. Like not actually right. in your genes, but just things that they learned that made sense for them. And now they pass it on to you, but it doesn't really work anymore. And you and I actually talked a little bit about that. So if, you know, if you feel comfortable talking about that, um, you know, you had expressed to me that when you were just like, fuck it, I'm, you know, I'm going to pursue being a rock star and, I, and we need to talk about that is like, you didn't get a lot of support from your mom. Your mom was like, what? But, but you're a lawyer. <laughs> Why? You can't be anything better than that. <laughs> Why would you leave that? And I think a lot of people probably think that. <laughs> like, what you could do, you right? do that's better than being a lawyer? Yeah, I mean, I mean, of course, I'm being facetious, but, you know, but no, I think a lot of people yeah. would think like, like that. But you're a lawyer. <laughs> you know, like, there's right. not too many. There's, you know, there are very few, like, really perfect uh respected professions. And I think lawyers are one of them, even though people simultaneously hate lawyers, but that's another conversation, but you know, we're, we're respected in the community. So, you know, what was that like for you? Like, what was that thought Um, process? It's, it's interesting. I, I think that, uh, you know, like what, what good podcast doesn't get into mommy issues. (laughs) Uh, I think it, you know, when I was first in the the music industry, which was like early 2000s, um, I think that I needed to sort of prove to my mom that I could be a, a great musician and, you know, have some success with that. And then we all sort of figured out that with the mindset training or lack thereof that I had at that point in my life, in my early 20s, I was unable to you know, get the sort of monetary success that I wanted. So then I decided to go to law school because I had a mind for it. And then I kind of had to prove to my mom that I could, you know, be a successful lawyer. 
and my dad as an entrepreneur. And I did that, you know, and uh, not that I'm stopping um, being a lawyer. That's literally my day job. It's just that I, I can also have a, a night job and uh, it's going very well for me. But yeah, when I started to, you know, do online posts, you know, with like my shirt off for like a rock star, you know, photo, uh, she really, I think she got really triggered by it. And, you know, she loves me very much and she cares a lot. And to her, no lawyer worth hiring, no respectable, decent, you know, good moral character lawyer would also, you know, have some shots with his six pack and his boobs hanging out, <clears throat> you know, like that's just not, it's not okay in her mind. And she was very concerned that I would like, I'm not sure really what she was concerned about, but I tried to repeat it back to her. And I think the gist of it was that she worried that I would lose all of my success as a lawyer because people would see me as like a fitness model or a musician, God forbid, instead of like a respectable, I'm putting it in quotes here, you know, attorney. Mm -hmm. And that's been completely the opposite to reality. You know, I'm happy to say, but, but yeah, that was her concern. Well, that kind of implies that you can't do both. You can't be both. Yeah. I think people, I think the, the, you know, the market for attorneys is very sophisticated and I think they can handle a multi-dimensional human being, you know, and not only can, can they handle it, you know, they don't want like a basic lawyer that, you know, is going to just say stuff that doesn't make any sense to them. And like, people aren't looking for that anymore. They, they want someone with, with passion. They want someone that gives a shit. Well, yeah. I mean, honestly, and you know what, who even cares what everybody else thinks? I mean, I think that's where a lot of this all comes from, right? It's just caring too much what everybody else thinks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, she, she has told me that she really struggles, you know, playing, she's a musician herself and she's got a great voice and she's great at the guitar and everything, but she's really afraid to, to play out. And, you know, I don't, like think that's it, it it's not because she lacks the talent or the passion or the you know the value to society and everything it's just she just i think she was yelled at by her dad you know for being mm-hmm. musically inclined so when did you um get involved in music like how old were you well i played drums growing up and you know i was always like singing songs and stuff I learned, I I had a girlfriend uh, when I was 16 and I asked my mom famously over a weekend to teach me to play a song that would be romantic and lovely. So I learned this song and I learned it in like three days and my fingers really hurt from the calluses, but I played it for her and it, you know, it was heart melting and wonderful. So the rest was history. But yeah, um, then I went to music school um, in 2001 in, in, in Hollywood, actually, and kind of, you know, really got good at my chops. And, uh, and then I came back and I was very entrepreneurially about it in Colorado. And I did everything I could under the sun, you know, to make money as a musician. And I made 50000 um, 
a year, which was good. It was good, you know, but that was really the ceiling. I, I knew that there was no way that I could make really any more than like, you know, 55, maybe if I was hustling, you know? Well, what do you mean? What, what do you mean? Um, like, why do you say that? Why do I say that now? Or why did I say that back then? Yeah. I mean, I guess back then, I mean, but you still seem to believe it now though. I believe that, that back then I had, I had limiting thinking. You know? Okay. Okay. So back then you thought, well, this is probably the best I'm ever going to do with this. Yeah. And, and, you know, like, like Mr. Ford said, you know, like whatever you believe is right is what is, is going to be right. You know, if you, if you believe you're going to be successful or, or not, you're right. Like either way. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. I love that quote. Yeah. So, you, so do you wish, I mean, I don't like to have regrets, but looking back on things, do you kind of wish sometimes that you had just been like, fuck that. I'm going to just keep trying. No, I don't actually. Um, haven't been asked that before about this particular thing, but, but no, I, I don't regret my decisions. I mean, the music world for me back then was such that, you know, you would, you would like the most you could make was about 35 an hour you know, doing whatever it was. So, you know, teaching music lessons or setting up sound stages for mega churches or engineering or whatever, that was kind of the most that you could make per hour. And there's obviously only so many hours in a day before you start to like, you know, kill yourself. Um, and, and it was also not very, um, there wasn't a lot of benefit to being intellectual and to, you know, philosophizing and like digging deep in an intellectual capacity. Um, when I went to law school, it was all that, you know, um, there was no time for like the emotion or the feeling of things artistically, but there was all the time in the world for a deep dive analysis on something. And I kind of felt that that was lacking, I guess, in my world when the only stuff I was doing was like, emotional spiritual creativity stuff um and now my perspective on the world it's just it's completely blown up compared to to where it was i just i see so much more you know if i go into any situation or environment i can just spot things you know that i would never have noticed or picked up on i didn't have like a radar for them you know um and, and you think you really got cool. that from your from law school and business that in a way yeah. that you wouldn't have if you had just stuck with music? Yeah. Yeah. Um and I'm not I'm not downing musicians at all, but it's um it's not an industry that is that focused on intellectuality or business savviness, you know, and the and like we've talked about, there's a lot of, you know, uh, self-sacrifice in there where it's like, you're the starving artist and you're only legitimate if you're like eating ramen, you know? Um, but I, ha I have dealt with my issues with that, <laughs> you know, like I've, I've hit the floor as an entrepreneur and I know what rock bottom is and I know how to be successful and you know, when I come into any of these scenarios, I'm so much more confident, Christine. <laughs> like it's just, it's just different. You know, I, I was very 
introspective and like kind of worried and timid. Like I, I listened to recordings of myself back then and I, I, I was, my voice was soft, you know, and, and now I, I make affirmative statements <laughs> with a period, you know, not a question mark with a period. And uh, because I'm, I'm confident and stuff just doesn't shake me like it used to. So then how did music kind of come back into your life? I mean, I, I guess the question before that, though, is did it ever really leave or did it just kind of take a back seat? And then how did you, um, you know, decide that you wanted to get back into it? Yeah, um, I, I did stop. I don't think I played guitar at all for a number of years. I don't know how many, but it, it was more than I'm like happy to admit to. Uh, I remember I was reading this Miles Davis autobiography and he was like one of my heroes musically. And, and he said there was this period where he was a shut-in. He was like a hermit and he set down his trumpet. And he didn't pick it up for five years. And I was reading it and I was saying, there is no way, there is no way in hell that that would ever happen to me. And this happened to Miles Davis. How does that, like, it did not compute. Um, but lo and behold, like within two or three years of reading that out of his autobiography, I did it myself, you know? So I really set it down. I think I set it down because I didn't believe that. I, I think I was believing the story that my mother believed, which was that no self-respecting lawyer can also be a musician, you know? And, uh, and also music was, I depended on music to like, you know, as a, for my livelihood and music had to, it had to give me this money, you know, or else, right? So it was kind of an, an unnatural, like, relationship with me and my art. And so when I picked it back up, I didn't need the money at all. You know, it could just, I could write whatever the hell I wanted, you know, because it, it doesn't have to be marketable. Like, I don't give a shit if people don't like it, you know. Uh, I'm just doing it for myself. Um, and, uh, yeah. So I just, I realized that that was music was very important to me and I had songs to sing. I had stories to tell. And so I, you know, got tipsy a few nights in a row and, you know, wrote some new lyrics. And then I was like, found myself playing gigs with other friends, like as a, you know, a side musician. And I really loved it. I, and I couldn't get enough of it. And the energy that, god or the higher power or whatever you want to call it was giving me was intense and there was a lot of it it felt endless to, to go after music again so i just followed the energy that's cool so i'm just imagining you like you know having these flashes you know in the middle of your day or at night when you go to bed like oh i really should pick up my guitar what yeah kind of like that yeah I, I i longed for it i was thirsty for it you know did you already yeah, have your guitar like had you gotten rid of everything most of it i had like 10 guitars and i sold seven of them i think before law school and the, the few that i didn't sell were just not worth much so i kept <laughs> but yeah basically i still had it we i had a fight with my ex-wife about uh i really wanted to hang up a guitar in the living room and it's a beautiful guitar. It's this one, if you can see that it. That blue it's one? Blue one, right? Yeah, I see part of it. It's nice. Uh, that's weird. It's like 
not. You could go get it. <laughs> okay, I'll go get it. So this was the first guitar that I bought. Uh, I got it I in love it. high school. It's beautiful, right? Like it nothing is. wrong with that. It is not an eyesore. If you see this on the wall, you're not going to think, fuck that guy. Like, you know, clearly he's an asshole and has no <laughs> decorative sense, right? <laughs> Definitely not. But that's what I think she was thinking or some derivative version of that. So I, you know, I said, and I had been playing a little more. This was like, you know, 2016. And I was like, I'd really like to hang this up. And she's like, well, why? And I was like, well, you know, that way I'll see it and I'll think to pick it up and I'll play more, which is great. And she's like, eh, you know, she kind of gave me this look. And I was like, well, what do you want me to do? And she's like, well, maybe you could just put it in the basement. And I was like, it was an unfinished basement. And, you know, we still have seasons in Georgia. It's not Colorado, but we still have seasons. And it could get cold or whatever. And I was like, you know, that could destroy the guitar. Like, this is an instrument, you know? And she's like, well, yeah, but can't you just put it in a case or something? And I was like, this guitar is me. Like, this is a part of me that I'm trying to put onto our wall, you know? And, and I, I was identifying with, I was like, you're, you're rejecting a part of me. You're rejecting my, my art. And she's like, well, you're a lawyer, you know? And I was like, wow, You married okay. your mother. <laughs> I, well, you know, who, who doesn't, right? <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, exactly. And you know, that, that was, I. Were you already a little on the rocks at that point? I think so. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was a lot of writing on that wall, you know, <laughs> there was no guitar um, on the wall. Who won that argument? There was no guitar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I won the argument, but, um, but you know, you, you win the battle and you lose the war, right? It was, it was unfathomable. I think to her that I would have any serious uh, desire to like make art or play music or whatever. So funny to me because I've always been so envious of people that are creative and and artsy and can play an instrument or even several instruments or write songs or sing or paint like anything artistic like that. I just think is so incredible, and it's so interesting that I that there's other people that don't respect that, like just don't admire it, like it just doesn't have any value to them. No. Well, it, it's, yeah, it is strange, I guess. It, it felt like it was ugly to her, I think. And I think, you know, I, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily bad. You know, I, I don't mean to, to down, you know, my ex, um, like I wish her the best, you know, but she has this version of like a, a happy home, you know, and it looks a very particular way. And when we first met, the version of myself that I was sort of putting out into the universe fit very well because I had muted all of the creativity stuff, you know, and that wasn't me. And I, I had very short hair and, you know, my glasses were not Versace. <laughs> like they were, you know, they were pretty basic, you know, like, uh, I mean, you know, it was, I wore a button up shirt that you could get at, you know, Kohl's. And it, it was, I was a different version of myself and she was very comfortable with that. And she loved that man, but that was not, 
you know, I, the, the avatar that I was putting out there was no longer like commensurate with my heart and soul. And I couldn't, I couldn't continue to, to fake it any longer. That's a pretty radical change to go from the yeah. buttoned up guy who looks like an accountant or a lawyer to uh, being the guy who's like, I'm going to wear snazzy glasses and, you know, jewelry and grow my hair long and hang my guitar on the wall. Like those are kind of like two different people. They are. And I, I would love to credit um, Lee Hayward and, and Sarah Kaki for their workshop because that, that fucking changed my life. Like everything, everything changed when I went to their workshop. Cool. Yeah. I've heard a lot of people went to that and speak very highly of it. And I've interviewed Sarah. I know Sarah. Uh-huh. So she's, I, I love her. I mean, she's, I love, I'm always coveting like wh- what she's got on. So we all <laughs> she's are, a yeah. sharp dresser. And I'm a guy and I'm still like, wow. <laughs> yeah. It was um, the whole workshop is, is, you know, kind of bringing out your own. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to not do just this justice because it was absolutely, it shook the universe for me, but the, the way that, that who we are is largely how we see ourselves and how we present ourselves to the world around us. And I used to believe that if I dressed so that the most amount of people, like the biggest bang for my buck that I could get that would like me, uh, that would make me more successful or something, something good. It would be positive. Then if I dressed kind of for myself. And so they, they reversed that. They flipped it on its head. So their philosophy, and I believe that this is mostly Lee Hayward's thinking, um, is that when you show up dressed in your own power, like dressed in a way that, that you uniquely and naturally are, uh, you will be the most confident. And when you are the most confidently yourself, people are drawn to that largely. There are some people who will reject it and like, who cares, right? But most people will be drawn to your confidence and your uniqueness. So here's Sarah Kaki, who's this badass lawyer who shows up in, in Nike Jordans, right? And she totally pulls it off and it looks great. But when I first saw that uh, at the beginning of that workshop, there was a part of me that was like, I don't know, that's not professional. You know, those are sneakers. And she even told us, she was like, I got tiny ass feet. So I bought this at like the junior, like the kids store. And I was like, wow, that's not professional. You know, it's interesting that she would, you know, this woman whose fashion sense I aspire to, you know, uh, would even admit that, right? Like it's kind of a, like a guilty pleasure or something, you know, but she owned it and, and you couldn't help but respect and admire her, her own uniqueness and, and literally stepping into the shoes of her own power, you know? So when I changed how I dress, um, from dressing for others to dressing for myself, uh, you know, we came up with like descriptive words that that fit sort of my heart, you know. And so I, I 
I put those clothes on. And so when anyone looks at me, um, I think they have a much stronger tendency to sort of read those words. So my words were creative, mindful, and on my game. And I think that when people see me that way, they, they have this, that's how I get through their filter. That's how they categorize me. So they're already seeing, like I'm telegraphing who I am. So when I start to speak or sing or be a lawyer, uh, it makes sense. You know, like when I tell people now that I'm, you know, a rocker lawyer, you know, that they're not like, what? You know, they're like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I can see that, you know, like he's he's different. He looks different from most people. You're being authentic. Yeah, I think people are. I wrote this song called Real Human Being. Uh, that's like a love story between these uh, college students is the next single that comes out. And, um, you know, they they issued all of social media because everyone was plastered to their cell phones and they hated it and there was no real authentic human connection. And then they found that, you know, consequently, most people were drawn to them because they were the only ones in the whole college that were being authentic. So because of their throwing social media out the door, they became really social media famous because, you know, they loved them for their authenticity. And uh, I just feel like that's, that's really how it works. You know, <laughs> we're all, we're all thirsting for people who are real, not, not, you know, the fake. I, yeah. I mean, I think when, when, when you come across someone who's really authentic, you, you kind of are drawn to them in some way, like you, they capture your attention and mm -hmm. you might not even realize what it is that is drawing you to them, but that's what it is. It's because there's no airs. They're not faking anything. They're not trying to be something. They just are. They're just being who they are. Cause you don't have to try to be who you are. You can just be that. But if you have to try you're you're trying something else like you're being someone else yeah exactly it, i mean you know i think a lot of people like myself are are drawn to you christine because you're you're confidently yourself i if i i i i have a sense and i, I don't have any experience like working through a stressful situation with you but i have a sense i have a, a knowing that you know if if we had a stressful situation you would be okay. I don't feel like I would have to like hold your hand. I feel like you would be perfectly resilient and able to get through it, you know, because you are your, like you stand strong in your own personality and confidence, you know, like you said at the beginning of this, you're in your, your, uh, what did you call it? The, uh, your outfit, I forget, you know, it's like oh, a sports, my sporty spice outfit today, sporty spice outfit, right? <laughs> but like, you know, Hey, you, we could say the same thing. Like you're a lawyer, you know, like what, what business do you have making a reference to like a shitty nineties girl band, you know, like you should be serious, right? Like speak but for no. yourself about the spice girls. <laughs> <laughs> All due respect to you know, the spices that be. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's the reverse, right? It's the fact that you are so comfortable that, you know, you, you show up in, in your sports outfit 
and and you know and it's like fuck you if you don't like it you know and that that tells me that telegraphs to me that you are that confident in yourself and your lawyer ability and your ability to like you know host a great podcast and, and all of these other things right i can rely on you you're safe i'm safe to be myself around you because you don't need me or anyone else to be someone different you know well, thank you i appreciate that Sure. Yeah. Um, well, I grew up in a crazy, you know, environment. It was chaotic. And I, I always, something I've learned about myself as an adult is when things get really hairy, I think I'm at my most comfortable, which oh, I don't know if that's like that. such a great thing, but because I'm used to it, it feels familiar. Yeah. And so what's familiar is comfortable. And like when the pandemic happened, uh -huh. I hope this doesn't come off the wrong way to people, but I was like, oh my God. Like, yeah, chaos. <laughs> I can do this. <laughs> you know, like I didn't lose my mind. Yeah. And I was just like, all right, something different. This is not boring. Yeah. It is not boring. Yeah. I guess the, the, the challenge with that is to like, you know, watch yourself for, for sabotaging moments, you know, like, I too, you know, had some chaos in the household and, and when I'm starting to really get not comfortable, but in a comforting environment for like elongated periods of time, I do have a tendency to get kind of antsy and like, I'm like, okay, something's going to explode, you know, like, I don't know what it is, but something's going to blow up and I'll get guarded, you know, and and I don't have to be guarded and I don't have to manifest anything blowing up either. But, you know, that's where yeah. I'm more, most comfortable. I don't know if I manifest it, but I do get bored. Yeah. But, and I'll have to make my own excitement. And it doesn't have to be something negative. Uh -huh. You know, it could just be like, you know what? I'm going to Vegas this weekend. And I'm like on my phone booking everything. And other people will see that as a God, she's so impulsive. She doesn't think anything <laughs> through. It's like, no. <laughs> I'm spontaneous and decisive. There's a difference. Yeah. Or yeah. at least and, that's and what that's I tell a, myself. You know, that's a safe, controlled, I mean, unless you, you know, bet the farm in Vegas, that's a great way to like spend that energy and, you know, go, go get your rocks off. Right. Like that's safe. You know, it's better to do that than to like sabotage a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot, we know a lot of people will do the sabotage thing. But I feel like for me, you know, I've been doing this podcast like two years now. I, and I don't think it's a big secret that I really don't practice law much anymore. I still have my firm. I run that, but I'm really not doing a lot of law and I mm -hmm. don't want to, I don't miss it. I don't want to do it. And I started the podcast as more of a creative outlet. So, so, mm -hmm. so for me, like, if it sounds corny, that's like my art, my art is yeah. talking to people. Yeah. And, and I love it. It's been great. It feels authentic to me, but that that's what I had to do as an outlet. Cause I was bored out of my mind doing divorce. I'm like, how many times can you calculate child support? You know, how many times can you, you know, plan a strategy to get a bigger alimony award? You know, it, right. it gets, I got yeah. bored with it. Mm -hmm. So I can, do you feel like that might've happened to you? Did you get bored? 
it's not that I got bored, but it's that there was a, a huge part of like my self-expression or my life's purpose, maybe that needed to be expressed, you know, that wasn't being expressed. So, and this is really crazy and maybe we should get into this for a second. So it's at the time that I made the switch or right before I made the switch from, you know, not doing any music to doing like a shitload of music. I believed I was telling myself this story and, you know, supporting the story that, that said that I am so busy. I could never in a million years afford to do anything creative because I'm so busy. Right. And this has been a story that has, that I have suffered from for you know decades. Um, Arjun told me once, uh, I, I told him, you know, I identify with being a hard worker. Like if I first meet somebody, what I need to impress upon them more than anything is that I am a hard worker, you know, and I need them to believe that I'm a hard worker or else if they don't know, like that's dangerous. Right. So he was like, well, do you need to be, do you want to be a hard worker or do you want to be successful? Because those in your case are going to become two very different paths. And I was like, well, I don't know. And he's like, okay, if you want to be a hard worker, like all due respect, but you should go work in a mill or, you know, in a coal mine or, or an assembly line, you know, and, or a construction worker, they, everybody will agree, everyone that they work hard. There is no question that they are not hard workers. But if you want to be successful, then, you know, you're going to have to make some different choices. And, and some people might say, God forbid, you are not a hard worker, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, boy, that was so insightful of the guy. Um, and uh, so I still had this story, even though I had, you know, some business success and I had, I had delegated successfully a lot of tasks to other, you know, employees at the firm. And, you know, I could rely on them. They're great team members and everything. So I had reduced my workload significantly, but I still told myself the story that there was no way in hell that I could possibly take on another set of work, you know, for anything, much less like creative work. And until I made the decision. So then I just, I said, hell or high water, I have to do this. This is my life's purpose. If I die, having not tried, I will not be happy with myself. So fuck everything. I'm going to go after this with no abandon. So I did that. And what I quickly realized, which was mind blowing, was that not only did I have the time and the energy to do it all, and I'm talking like, you know, an extra 30 hours a week of work, like out of nowhere. Uh, but the things that I was spending my time doing was actually so that I could be okay with not doing the things I wanted to do. So my normal day used to be, you know, work from about 8.30 to, you know, maybe four or five in the afternoon and then I would like exercise and then I would like watch TV and or have some drinks for, you know, three hours. Right. 
So that's a lot of time. That's three hours, seven days a week, you know, maybe more if it's football season, right? So that adds up. And, but I realized that I was, I was not doing that because I wanted to watch Netflix and drink. I was doing that because I was so pissed off that I was not playing music. So that up for my not doing what I really wanted to do. So when I flipped it, when I switched from numbing out to actually being creative, I had endless energy and now I don't need to numb out anymore. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm guilty of that these days. Yeah. I've been watching. Really? If you look at my Facebook, there's a lot of Netflix happening. <laughs> there's a lot. That's I mean, I do shows. love, I would love to watch movies and I love stories. I like telling yeah. stories and I like listening to stories, but if I'm really being honest, I don't think all of the Netflixing it, oh, I think I might have just made up a word. I don't think all of that is, <laughs> is, you know, just because of my passion for stories. Ah, okay. That's another conversation. Well, We're here to talk about you. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, it, I mean, it was mind blowing to me because I thought, you know, how, where would I find the time? I would never have the energy, but that was going on the thinking that I, I required absolutely like two or three hours a night and more on weekends to sort of numb out and like vegetate and make up for the day. But when I did the things that I really wanted to do, I no longer had to like make up for that day because it was no longer stressful. I had expressed myself completely and I was exhausted in a fulfilling way. You know, I, I could sleep better because I'm not tired from alcohol and tv i'm tired because i i put it all out there you know which was a very different thing so where does your um divorce fall into this timeline <laughs> 2017 <laughs> is when we separated so yeah and i will say i mean you know i'm and I'm, I'm engaged uh to to my fiance marla and she's she has She's played a major role in my ability to sort of accept myself, you know, with all of my random, you know, stuff, you know, because she's, she's very loving and very supportive. And um, she likes that I'm expressing all of these, you know, but I mean, you picked her though. I mean, you obviously you picked your ex-wife too, but Mm -hmm. you know, like David always says that whatever, your situation is in life. It's your fault, right? Like if it's good or bad, it's your fault. Like Uh we pick the people that are in our universe and who we spend time with. So I think, you know, you are picking somebody who supports you and, you know, makes you a better person is a reflection on who you are right now and who you're being. Mm -hmm. And congratulations on the, on the engagement. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I did pick her. Um, uh, and that was a whole funny thing, too. I, I actually went to a David Nagel thing and asked him someone. Actually, it wasn't me, but it was someone else that went up to the mic and asked about dating advice. And uh, and he told us this. Dude, should I should I say it? Yeah. <laughs> he said, OK, so he said he said, all right, so here's what you got to do. He said, first. I want you to write down all of the things that you hated the most and the things that you loved the most about your ex, you know, 
And that's going to take you like an hour. So just really do a deep dive. And then he said, now I want you to think about, you know, why you were in the situation where you hated those things, you know, because you probably loved those things about, you know, him or her originally. And so then you can grow that way. Right. And then you can, he's like, I want you to get as specific as possible about your new partner and like go nuts, you know? So write down everything, every little intricate detail you can think of. And, you know, that's going to take another hour or two. Once you do that, then you got to think about if I were this person, like this woman that I was, you know, looking to meet, what type of guy would I be looking to meet? So then I listed out, you know, that ideal guy's qualities, like for, you know, my new partner. And he said, if there's anything lacking there between where you are now and what that dude looks like, you got to fix that because it's not going to, she's not going to do it for you. You know, <laughs> like you got to show up uh, ready to be seen. So um, there were some things lacking in there. And, but I literally wrote all of this down while at the Art of Success Summit. And I still have the journal entry thing. And I read it to Marla later and it was like word for word, it was verbatim. There was one thing off, which was hair color. But other <laughs> than that, every single, like I, I had it down to like her teeth are slightly crooked. <laughs> like, wow. And it was you manifested it. I was like this age, this is her background, probably a mom, like, you know, seen some shit in her life, but she's dealing with it. You know, like all of these things were there and it was amazing. It felt magical, but it wasn't. It was like, you know, I, I grew eyes to see her, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't have seen her before. I don't think. Yeah. That's why I, I talk about David so much. My friends are all like, it's kind of become a joke. Like, well, David says, and you're like, <laughs> who's David? <laughs> but it's, um, I, I, that's, I love that story. I love. I hear stories like that all the time about little things that people learn from him that have such a big impact on your life. Yeah. Um, but when I, when I met, when I asked you like, where did your wife fall into it? Ex-wife fall into it, it kind of meant mm -hmm. like not in the year, but like, was she, you know, did you pick up the guitar after you had separated or did you pick up the oh. guitar again and then you separated? It was, it was like right before it was when the, I think we were in marriage counseling when it, when I was picking up the guitar more regularly. I don't know when exactly, but yeah, that was, that was around the same time. We, we had, um, we had, we had a, like a decent relationship that, that was, you know, dysfunctional, but, but, you know, we could, we could make it work before we had a child and then we had a child and you know that was an extra out of nowhere like you know 30 or 40 hours a week for each of us and you know what used to be spare time you know like we could deal with each other's shit and sort of get through it when we did not have this baby that totally depended on us to, to live and breathe but then when, when she came around and, and, you know, I'm grateful that she came around, but it really put a spotlight on our dysfunction because we, we no longer had 
a choice. Like we literally couldn't do what we used to do to make the relationship work. It just wasn't possible. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hear that a lot, you know, kids just change things in such a big way. Yeah. Yeah. It's like we could afford to, you know, if you're, if you're in your twenties, man, and you, you know, you make a, a decent living and, you know, like we could afford to like go to her parents' house for, you know, three days a week and just, you know, listen to them BS about stuff that, that I wasn't interested in. Like we could do that, you know, that was fine. It wasn't great, but I could do it. But when I had, you know, our daughter and, you know, I, I, where do I get any me time? You know, like I couldn't even sleep through the night. Like, so then it, it, it just put a, a white hot spotlight on the stuff that I could no longer afford to do. And, and so I started saying no, because I can't, I just like physically, mentally, spiritually, I can't do it. And, you know, then we started to really have problems. Yeah. Well, I, you know, as a divorce lawyer, I always feel like, you know, people don't have to, we don't have to characterize people in a divorce as good or bad. Like there's not a, mm-hmm. a bad guy or a good guy. And it doesn't have to be this horrible traumatic event. Although I know it is for some people, mm-hmm. sometimes relationships just aren't meant to be forever and that's mm-hmm. okay. And it doesn't mean mm-hmm. anybody's bad. And, and, you know, so I hope that my questions, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, like dig up any dirt, like it mm-hmm. didn't work no. out. You've been really forthcoming about it. And you know, so I just want to clarify that, that, you know, and I know you don't, we don't mean any disrespect to the marriage that happened Mm -hmm. or to your ex-wife. No, she's a wonderful mom. Like she couldn't care more about our daughter. I mean, she's, she's there for her. She's reliable for her, Um, you know, and, and that's, I've seen, you know, families that have, you know, parents, even, even both of them that, that really don't care. And, and that, you know, that would be far more damaging than the fact that we just didn't work out as a couple. You know, I, I think we do very well, actually, um, you know, in, in this way, it's, it's kind of a, you know, like they teach you in whatever family court it is or something training, whatever, there's like a divorce training that they put you through, but they say it needs to be a business relationship and it, it, it feels that way. You know, it's like, okay, you know, how are we going to conduct the business of raising our daughter together? And, you know, it's, it's not perfect, but it's, it's really not bad. And our daughter is, is thriving. So, you know, I can't complain that much. Well, that's great. Um, because there's a lot of people that aren't doing that. So I think that's an yeah. accomplishment and a credit to both of you. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about your abs. <laughs> <laughs> so you I had, lost them. Yeah. Get them back. <laughs> you you had posted a little while ago you had posted something on social media like a before and after photo oh yeah sure uh-huh. and i was like wow i wish i had it here like i'll have to share it or something but and i don't remember what you look like before but you weren't as lean like you weren't no, like this no. big grotesque person, but you were, no, uh, you know, like you probably like what most of, you know, of us look like. Yeah. Um, and that, but now you're like, you look great. Like you got lean, 
you know, you're really fit. Like you're the kind of person you can take your shirt off and, you know, not be embarrassed, not be trying to hide Mm -hmm. anything. So when did you do that? And what inspired that? Well, I've always wanted to have a six pack. I had a six pack in law school. um, And, um, and then I I lost it, I think within like a month. (laughs) So I had it, I had to like achieve that goal in 2010. And then I, I lost it. So when COVID hit, I was like, well, I got a lot of spare time, you know, now, because I, I was no longer commuting. And just that alone, you know, was like, shit, if you do a, you know, 30 minutes of cardio a day on top of like a, a regular workout, like you're going to get mean fast. Um, so I really wanted to accomplish that. And I realized that I had just been doing it wrong. There was one very small detail that I was missing and it had to do with, you know, the amount of calories I was eating. And once I fixed that glitch in my math, I just got lean, like literally within, you know, two months. I mean, it was crazy how well it worked. It felt crazy. So what, what was the glitch? What did you just calculate like your macros wrong or was it like, yeah, I got to yeah, stop so, eating the ice cream at night. <laughs> no, it wasn't that I, I eat ice cream. I eat Yasso bars and I eat bacon every day. So it wasn't something like that. Um, okay. So I was doing P90X type programs and they give you this schematic at the beginning of the program in the booklet. It says, Hey, you need to figure out your RMR, your resting metabolic rate, which is how much calories your organs burn just for you to like stay alive, to live and breathe and sit on the couch. Um, Then you add to your RMR, your activity rate. And this is where I screwed it up. So what they said is, hey, if you're doing this program, you should add like 600 calories a day to your RMR. Because you're doing this program, Jonathan. (laughs) And I was like, I took it as if that was my starting point RMR. So you can see where the problem is. Now you have, I have a calorie tracker that's free and everybody should use it. It's called MyFitnessPal. It's an app, super easy. And there's tens of millions of users that have put in data for like how many calories are in typical food. So you can type in like burger and it's, you know, 1100 calories. You can type in, you know, two ounces of deli meat and it's like, you know, 80 calories or whatever protein and all of that. So anyway, they allow you this deduction if you exercise. So what I would do is I would start out at the RMR plus the daily activities, which already includes my workout. And then I would add my workout into as if I had also burned the workout calories. So if I burned 500 calories on a given workout and I end 500 calories for a given workout, then I'm doubling. It's as if I'm doing a double workout that day mm-hmm. and I never was. So whenever I tracked it that way, I was 500 calories a day too much and I would get fat. Like I would, I would gain fat. Uh, I, I'm not gonna say get fat because I wasn't. And you're like, like this is fat. a shitty diet. It doesn't work. Yeah, I was angry because I and I remember I would I would feel satiated and I wasn't hungry at all. But it was like telling me, you know, by my math, I had to go eat more. And I was like, well, okay, I guess I gotta fuel my muscles or whatever. So then I would do that and and I would gain weight. 
So then when I fixed that glitch and I only calculated the calories that I definitely burned, so I took my actual RMR, which is like 1800 a day, and I only add in my, my workout calories, which is five or 600 on a day that I work out, then it's correct, you know, and, and then it is a simple math thing and, and I can dial in whatever, you know, fat percentage I want. So, yeah, that's all. <laughs> so, yeah, just a minor, minor little detail. So, but do you count macros too, or is it just calories? I only track protein grams. So the, the science now is that you need to have one gram of protein for every pound of lean body mass that you want, not how much you have that you want. So if I want 150 pounds of lean body mass, uh, which is, you know, normal for a guy my size, um, then I need to eat 150 grams of protein a day on average. And it can be, you know, one day can be 125 and the next is 175 and that's fine. That's a but, lot. Um, that's a lot. It of is protein. It's a lot of protein. Yeah. It is. It's hard to be a vegetarian. I don't think it would be reasonably possible. I also think that the meat that I eat fuels my, my particular unique body better than like protein powder. I, I don't, feel the same when I just drink protein powder. In fact, it makes me very gassy. (laughs) It's just being real. Yeah. Poor Marla. Um, (laughs) so what do you eat? Like steak, chicken? Are you just eating chicken and rice all day? Um, I could, yeah. So today I, for breakfast, I have every morning I have the same thing. So it's, I know it sounds kind of freaky, but it's 10 egg whites which is like 50 grams of protein and it's only 200 calories. So you get, for me, that's a third of my entire daily protein intake, like right there. I have three strips of thick cut bacon. That's like naturally raised ham or whatever. And that's 180 calories. So my breakfast is 380 calories and it's almost 70 grams of protein. So it's basically half. Then for lunch, I tend to have like a 20 or 30 gram of protein lunch. So, you know, it might be like a a Chipotle bowl with double protein. And for dinner, I'll have something similar. And then, you know, I kick in um, before every workout, I have to get a bunch of carbs, like a banana is perfect or some Cheez-Its. And then immediately after I have to eat like 20 grams of protein, I usually just take a wad of uh, like deli turkey that you would put in a sandwich, but I don't eat the sandwich. I just eat the turkey just to give my muscles that protein immediately after. And that's the whole thing, you know? And I, I also eat a lot of, I live on waffle sweet potato fries in the air fryer. Those things are like crack. They are so good. And man, they go great with whiskey and it's, it's awesome. And do you track <laughs> everything? So like if you do the sweet potato fries and you have alcohol, do you put that in too? Oh yeah, of course you have to. Yeah. Um, I track all my calories. I know it sounds like a, a beast, but it's, um, it takes me less time than it takes for me to brush my teeth every day. So it's, it's really not a big deal. All I do is, you know, even if I'm at a restaurant, I'll check the calories, you know, like I'm not going to eat the blooming onion at, at Outback or whatever, because that shit's like 1200 calories and I just can't afford it. 
So instead I'll, you know, get the seared tuna and that's, you know, like 80 calories and a bunch of protein. So yeah, I track it, everything I eat and, you know, it, it was kind of hard at first just to get in the habit of it. But once I got in the habit of it, it, it's just, you know, very normal now. I've always thought that to have abs, you have to be like really lean. Like you have to be paying careful attention to everything all the time. You don't. It's, it, I, I am lean. Um, my body fat percentage is between 11 and 14%. Um, but it's, uh, it's not, I'm not crazy about it. Like I, I'm not crazy. The, the way that I get lean is not crazy. It, it's pretty, pretty normal. And actually people like, Oh, you must work out all the time. And, and I, I tend to work out like five days a week, but, um, the days that I don't work out, actually my body loses more fat because uh i eat less you know like if i work out i get to eat more and if i don't then i just eat less but you, you do have to track it i i also keep a, a a running tab so if i like last night i ate 200 calories more than i like should have so i reduced my tab by 220 you know and so if i have a cheat meal i have to track it but i don't I don't limit whatever I eat. So I might have like 2,500 calories in one meal, you know, like I'll just go ape shit. And, uh, but then I, I put it on the tab, right? So then the next few days I might eat, you know, 500 calories less on that day to, to make up for it. So it really is like what they say. It's just a lifestyle. It just becomes a lifestyle. It's just what you it's do. Totally normal to me. Yeah. I, I do feel I get strange and kind of irritable if I don't work out for like two days I'm kind of an ass duly <laughs> and, noted and yeah and Marla knows that it. it's because my body has more energy available you know to 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 go put into the weights and if I don't do that instead it comes out in twisted weird ways you know that's not yeah. helpful yeah wow so a lot of changes for you in the past few years well, I guess yeah. maybe since 2017, it sounds like around mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you, do you, if you, if like looking back on it, do you feel like there was like, what sparked it? Cause uh, it was like a domino effect. Was it? It sounds like at least from what you're telling me, it was like this. And then it kind of led to all these other changes. Do you have any insight now looking back on things? Like, was there something that sparked it? Yeah. It, it feels like there were a lot of different things. Um, you know, money mindset was a thing like making my law firm more successful was a big change. You know, when I, when I left the marriage, I was, I was making practically, you know, what, uh, you know, uh, an associate would, would make off of my law firm. It was, might've been a little more, but you know, then I, I came into a, 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 a di- very different world. Yeah, I, hmm. you know, one thing that really shifted it for me actually was um, the the cost of a family lawyer. <laughs> it it changed everything because, you know, I think my lawyer was like four hundred an hour or something around that time, and and we used to have. I remember the family budget was like four hundred a month, I think, or maybe even two hundred a month. 
per like spouse that we could spend on whatever we wanted, you know, like that's how stringent we were. So, you know, I could, I could go like buy a guitar, for example, but I would need to save up and not buy any food out for like, you know, six months or something, right. To get a, a decent, you know, top shelf guitar. And so then I started paying my lawyer bill, which was totally necessary and very good. Um, but that bill would be, you know, 5,000 here, 10,000 there. Like it was a lot of cash compared to what I was used to spending. And so then I remember this time I was like just getting back into the dating world and I think we were like a year and a half removed from the marriage. And there was like, I was like, okay, we're, I'm going to go on a date, you know, like what's my date budget, you know? And at first I was like, well, maybe, you know, well, how about $60, you know? And then I was like, well, that's really not going to, you know, you can't get much for 60 bucks. Maybe if you, you go know, to like Applebee's. A, <laughs> yeah. Chipotle and a movie, you know, like maybe, maybe that, but that's no, not, very, not, like, not a sexy. movie, like Applebee's and that's it. Not a movie. <laughs> not, not a movie. Thank God forbid get any popcorn. So then I was like, well, shit, I'm spending five grand, you know, every other month. What if I just spent, you know, two or 300 bucks on this date? You know, why not? And then I did that and it was okay. And I didn't think it was going to be okay. I thought it would like all hell would break loose because that's a whole month's worth of spending spent on one night, you know, or, or, or more than that. And it was so totally okay that I was like, well, okay, well, what if I did this like, you know, every other night, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what would that be like? And so my, my financial set point for what I could spend was just naturally upped by the fact that it was no longer unimaginable for me to spend over a thousand dollars on something, you know, and something of value, you know, but I was like, it was soon after that where I was, I bought this, this Rolex, you know, and I was, I, I would never have imagined buying a Rolex earlier because, you know, it's, been thrifty it's like they're starving children in africa like you can get a timex watch for 15 dollars that serves the same purpose and if you break it it's okay you know like all of these reasons but i love my rolex and it makes me very confident you know like whenever i wear it i don't i don't feel unconfident you know it definitely helps with things and i i've literally closed deals because i'm a fellow rolex owner or whatever the hell but, you know, we have all these stories. So that was one thing, the money mindset. Uh, meeting Marla was another thing, and, and her love and support has really helped me to, like I said, express more of, of what I have to express, you know? I think I felt like I would not be desirable, you know, as a man in the dating world if I, you know, was three-dimensional and had opinions and, you know, was an artist and also a lawyer. I, I, I felt like women would only be attracted to a guy if he was, you know, like what my mom wanted, I guess, you know, basic and just a lawyer, quote unquote. But I feel like, and maybe, I mean, maybe you're answering my question. And if you, you've, if you're answering my question, tell me, maybe it's the wrong question. Like, 
I f- like the way you've told your story in the past hour and a half. I feel like you went on this, um, you know, quest to be a rock star. And then at some point you were like, well, I guess it's time to give that up and get a job. And that's what you did. And then you did that yeah. for many years. And it's almost like the the job thing was like just kind of a detour. And then you got back on track again and found yourself again. And it started with having that desire to pick up the guitar again. And then uh, those other things followed. Like then, you know, you got divorced and you found Marla and, you know, you bought the Rolex and you did all that stuff. So like, what was it that kind of woke you up to like, I just, I want to make music again. Like, do you feel like there was something that happens? Like, did you have a near death experience? (laughs) Did you smoke pot? Like, I don't know. I'm just making shit up, but. Was there something? And, you know, maybe there just wasn't. Maybe it was just time. It, it was time. There was a pressure of, you know, my own mortality, you know, and how I, how I showed up every day with, you know, literally the, the, the material wardrobe thing. I was more confident in. I started to prioritize things that I wanted rather than things that other people around me wanted or preferred. And that caused some people to like fall off and, uh, you know, God bless them. But, and it caused some people to be more attracted to me, I think. But I, I had the, the strength of uh, the confidence. Thank you, you know, Lee Hayward and Sarah Khaki. But I had the confidence to prioritize my own life and, and things that I wanted to do rather than, you know, a, a shitty client or, you know, who knows what else, like, I don't know, family members preferences or, you know, uh, a, a bad partner or a bad business partner, you know, anything like that. And so I just started to end things and um, yeah, and it works, you know, I'm, I think I used to think that anyone who demanded or expected things from people or the world or had ambitions really at the end of the day was a narcissistic asshole. And then I figured out that um, I can do all those things and not be a narcissistic asshole. And if anything, uh, I'm, I'm not living life well, if I, if I don't do these things, you know, I mean, it's cliche, but I, I think, very frequently about when I die, am I going to be happy with this choice? You know, so I, I want to couch it in that sort of viewpoint rather than, you know, how it feels right now. Cause oftentimes the things that, that we uh, think about doing when we think about doing them right now in the present, it makes us sick, you know, and it's scary and it's like terrifying and we, we will not do it because it's so uncomfortable. But if you think about it in, you know, when you're on your deathbed, it's, it's not even a question. It's like, yes, absolutely. You have to do that. You don't have a choice and you're wasting time to even act like you do. Yeah. Yeah. Did, when did you start doing coaching? What, what was your first coaching experience? Was it David or how to manage? Which one was first? Um, it was, I had a business coach and I still have the, the guy. He's great. Um, 
she doesn't get into mindset stuff as much as like technical business entrepreneurship stuff. Um, so yeah, my first major coach uh, was how to manage an, an Arjun. And that really, man, I was so into that, you know, philosophy and mindset and spirituality and entrepreneurship and on and on. How we are holding ourselves back unknowingly was totally mind blowing. And, uh, and then I, you know, got turned on to David Nagel and a bunch of other, you know, mindset gurus, but yeah, that was, that was the journey. Well, were you still married when you started coaching? No, it was immediately after that I started at HTM. I think it was, uh, like within six months or something, it was really soon after. And there would have been, that would have been completely not okay. Like my ex-wife and Howdage would have been you know, oil and like, you're going to spend how much? <laughs> oh my God. It would have. Yeah. And, and that was another thing that the money for that too was really, you know, like I, I would always tip like a buck, you know, for, but then I went to the Ritz Carlton with them and, you know, like that's, that's almost offensive in the other way, you know, you might as well not give them a tip. So then I moved to twenties and I was like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, that was crazy. <laughs> yeah. I remember one time David said at an event to give, just give a hundred dollars to somebody. Uh-huh. I remember that too. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I tipped the, the, like the doorman. Uh, he was a young, he, he was young, like in his twenties. Uh-huh. I tipped him when I was leaving and I was staying at the Four Seasons in, in uh-huh. downtown New York. And I tipped him a $100 bill. And I still think about that sometimes. I'm like, somewhere there's a guy going, oh, my God, one time this girl tipped me $100. <laughs> in, in your Netflix thing, have you watched the Making Anna movie or whatever? Series? I haven't seen that yet. Oh, you, you got to watch it. Inventing yeah. Anna? Inventing Anna, yeah. There's the... There's a hundred dollar tip scene and that's yeah. Oh really? <laughs> powerful. But oh, you know yeah. what? Oh, to yeah. to other people, like do you think Kim Kardashian even blinks at a hundred dollar tip? Like to them, it's like, so what? It's like a hundred dollars is like nothing, you know? It's but we're, you know, we are like so attached, like the normal people of the world, we're so attached. Like, oh my God, it's a hundred dollars. Like, why would you tip someone that? So I get what David's talking. It's like just a matter of getting comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I used to be, I'm always like budgeting and thinking about money. I, I, I think as a business owner, that's smart to an extent. Um, but I used to literally, I would think about things in terms of Chipotle's because that was like my favorite thing to spend money on. So it, that would be, you know, five to $7. And if something was 35 bucks, that was like, you know, five to seven Chipotle's. Right. Um, but now I don't think in terms of Chipotle's anymore. Now I think in terms of like, you know, a $300 date night, you know, so how many $300 date nights does this guitar cost, you know, and if it's more than 10 or 20, then I start to like, you know, like that's like, I got to think about it. Right. But, you know, back in the day that would have been unfathomable, you know, to buy like a a $5,000 guitar. There's no way in hell, you know, 
Does that make sense? Like I would have yeah. had to sell stuff or something like that. So yeah. I think it's just, I have shifted yeah. up by, you know, from $5 to, to two fifty or 300, which is great. But you know, yeah, just like you, I know people too, that, you know, a thousand dollars is meaningless to them practically. And I'm not, I'm not to that level yet. You know, um, I hope to get there, you know, but, but yeah, it's just, it's just a matter of perspective and it's not good or bad. You know, I think people, uh, we used to make fun of people for being rich. We used to, you know, they were like ugly to us. They were like silly. They were wasteful. They were greedy. They would screw people over. They were not to be trusted. Like we had all of this negative shit about rich people, which did a great job at preventing us from being rich ever. Yes. Cause why would you want to be one of those deplorable people? Right. We have yeah, to stay yeah. broke. Yeah. Because you know, that's good humble Americans or something, you know, but yeah, it was, uh, once I let go of that, you know, it, the world was my oyster. Right. But I had to, I had to find that speed bump and nix it. Yeah. So how many guitars do you have now? Uh, wow. I, I haven't been counting. I'm guessing it's like nine. Okay. Yeah, Cause you had 10, nine. you had 10 way back. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, the thing I'm lacking now is a, a cello. I had an electric cello that I would put into distortion pedals on a guitar amp. It was pretty badass. There was this band so cool. called Rasputin, I think, but they had like a bunch of cello players and they would play like uh, Barracuda and it was so badass. That is so cool. I definitely <laughs> want to see you play. Um, I, okay. I wish I was going to David's art of success summit in April. Are you doing that? Cause it's in Atlanta. Oh yeah. I, I, I am going to do it. I think it's, um, immediately before I I'm playing a gig in Pennsylvania and then I'm also playing a gig oh. on April 6th at Smithville bar here. Um, we just got word. Oh, you're going to be in Pennsylvania. Um, I might be able to do the Pennsylvania one. Cause I unwittingly, okay. I booked a trip to Florida the last week in April and I didn't realize I w- it was going to conflict with Art of Success. Oh, so it yeah. might conflict with your PA show. Uh, April 15th is oh, no, I, Friday. Oh, I, I think I can do that. What? Where? Oh, where in PA? At the Launch Music Festival. That's, uh, it's going to be kind of a showcase. Um, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll figure out tickets. Just hit me up. Yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> um, anyway, I just want to thank you so much for for doing this and not saying no to yeah. any of my questions. <laughs> <laughs> my pleasure. Thanks for I love your podcast, man. Thank I mean, it's uh, there's not a lot of like I want to say content out there with with people that are you know questioning all of our own you know sort of rules and and helping us to level up and you know rise the tide and i think you're uh, you're doing a lot of you know god's work or higher beings work to uh thank you i'm you gonna know, tell to my mom you said that <laughs> yeah. please please do yeah <laughs> so um i love your name too you have the coolest name jonathan gabriel sparks thanks yeah Such a cool i've name. got my own podcast it's uh 
success decisions and rock and roll. It's kind of a play on words, but we get into uh, music that people can dig and then we'll, we'll go into like a lesson each week. So. Well, yeah. I will, um, I'm going to check it out and I will put a link to your podcast and your website and whatever else you you've got going on. Cause I think you have a lot of stuff going on and um, <laughs> I encourage anybody listening to check it out. Thanks, Christine. It's been an honor to be here. Truly. <laughs> Likewise. Thank you for listening to wake up call the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to know more about me, you can find out more on my website, christinaprevitt.com. And be sure to sign up for my newsletter where I talk about everything that I'm reading, learning, listening to, doing, basically everything that I'm obsessed with right now. Follow me on social media. Look up Wake Up Call the Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you'd like to be a guest on Wake Up Call or there's someone you'd like to hear on my podcast, please email me at wakeupcallthepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you and see you next time.